0: I'm Randall Reese, pastor of Hope Church in High Point, Point. and um, we started. My wife and I started the church in 2003. We moved to High Point from Raleigh. I was the executive pastor at Raleigh First Assembly. Um, <clears throat> it was a church of at that time about a thousand people. I think now they're closer to two or three thousand. So it was a you know a larger scale church, and to to leave that and just literally. Uh, launch out into nothing Um, that's how that's not how to plant a church today Mm -hmm. we just literally parachuted into the city and said okay here we are and but anyway uh, man God's certainly blessed us and we've learned a lot along the way Uh, one of the things I love about church planting is the the nature of it you have to connect to culture to have influence I mean you've got to I mean, church planting teaches you how to do that. It's sink or swim. If you can't do it, it ain't going to work, you know. Um, along the way, we've, we've raised up a healthy congregation. And over 16 years, we've facilitated, I call it facilitated, about um, eight or nine churches here in the triad. And most of them are doing very well. Some of them are doing incredibly well. And so we're super proud of that you know to be able to launch that many churches and still have a healthy church ourselves. it's it's all about reproduction and um you know a lot of churches today are merging and coming together and let's see how big we can we take your church my church that church and let's see how big we can make it and i think it's the opposite i think the mission really is to multiply you know
1: that's a good word
0: yeah yeah. yeah, and that's been part of our journey at Hope. So, but uh, yeah, this, this this past year, we've come through a visioning process. Um, it's been a fascinating journey. One of the things that we developed in that visioning process was a map for discipleship. You know, oh. discipleship happens in our church, <laughs> but it's it's mainly hap- happened in the past. Uh, organically just hey we hope you figure this out we hope you get this you know people get saved almost every Sunday at our church and that's fantastic Um, some of them stick around and grow some of them don't and so in the visioning process we took a hard look at that and we said hey let's let's see if we can move it from being an organic thing into something that becomes intentional you know something we do on purpose Anyway, I, I had preached this series of messages before about the table. The table is a metaphor in Scripture. It, it's kind of everywhere. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. It's all over the place. And if you think about the church, well, I mean, we're sitting at a table right now. Food, really. yeah. I wish there was some food, food here. Food. Yeah, I wish there was something here to eat. But the Cans of rubber bands. I, I was hoping for Wayne to pray over the water and turn it into something else. <laughs> or,
2: multiply something here. But hey what is this
0: man? oh no that's i'm nothing. not sure that's that i'm not eating <laughs> but yeah the, the the church i think uh, the church is the table and it's where people come to get nourished is where they come to get fed spiritually and you know we see jesus sitting around the table a lot yeah. in the new testament that's how he connected with people yeah
2: yeah i'm surprised uh, meditating about what you preach about the table. I mean, everything happens at the table, basically. Every, first of all, a table is a place of relationship. Families gather around the table. We got mm-hmm. Thanksgiving dinner happens around the table. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost like sitting together in a table is a, it's a place of relationship. It's a place of family. And you're always even thinking about uh, school kids when they go at uh, the cafeteria, sometimes that sign of being accepted or rejected has to do with if they sit at a table or they are allowed to be sitting at a table, mm-hmm. right? Is 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 something that is being uh, in 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 every, every everything we do in every interaction that we have today. You negotiate at a table, too, right? Mm-hmm. Like business yep. happening at a table. Right, right.
0: Well, that's that's what I was thinking. Um, think about all the giant Pixar movies like Toy Story, um, Finding Nemo, Cars. What were some of the other ones? Monsters, Inc. Yeah. All of those movies literally were thought out in one dinner meeting sitting around a table. Hmm. Every single one of them, like at the same meeting. Yeah. And yeah. look at the huge... Um, impact. Impact that that one dinner meeting had
1: wonder what they were serving
0: i know i wish they were serving it here
1: (laughs) one of the things that has amazed me with listening to your series on the table in the past and this new kickoff uh, you you always bring out points that are intriguing to me but the analogies or references of the different chairs around the table and the uh, view of the church positioned in those chairs. Chair number one is especially intriguing from the church planning perspective. And you made the reference earlier about connecting with our culture. Mm -hmm. Chair number one being those that do not know Christ, that don't necessarily know anything about the Bible or church or any of our Christian culture as such, right. but they're coming in because of relationships that they have developed with someone most likely in that congregation. Right. Um, we've, we've gone through a lot of years of change in culture, but also in church and our perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming from the church planting Perspective for you and I both. Right. There's a different approach, it seems, yeah. than your traditional pastor. Absolutely. Because the unchurched, the unsaved, the non-Christian culture becomes your congregation if you build one. Right. Yeah. And you're you're having to develop those relationships with them, mm-hmm. uh, which, in my opinion, is very healthy for pastors. Yeah where and you've made reference to the percentage of the congregation and our time and so forth that should be associated with those that are not necessarily believers in Christ as of yet mm-hmm. and just a couple of references from my life that uh, years back early on in ministry helped to shape perspective and I I hate to make the reference to the year but i will
0: say, right, come on now. i will
1: i will say it was the early 80s in central florida and a university setting seminary uh, school that uh sat under a professor that had spent the majority of their life in india uh, working as missionaries oh wow and they introduced a concept to us as students that I rejected initially. I was very young and early 80s, I would have had to have been very, 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 very young. So, <laughs> I don't know how I even got in the classroom, yeah. but. Uh, you weren't even but, old enough to be at college. Wasn't old, wasn't, couldn't have been old enough to have been in college, so. Um, introduced the concept that no one comes in and listens to our preaching Responds to an altar call and instantly gets saved. That went against my teaching and kind of conditioning in the religious aspect because we preach, we give an altar call, people respond, they get, God saved them right then. That's the persuasion, which also lends to the judgmental aspect and one of the things you preach very strongly is a judgment-free zone. Right. That we expect people to come in living like and acting like seasoned Christians. Yeah. And the professor began to unveil that to us. Once I got passed over some time through that semester, past my rejection of it, I began to see that one sows another water's And someone else reaps the increase. Hmm. And even without someone bringing the word to a a culture, we are without excuse because God is there with his spirit and nature itself revealing the glory of God. Mm -hmm. So it is a process of relationship and time that God established biblically that you go through this process of relationship, of taking the seed of the word into your spirit, right. of that being watered and cultivated before you ever really yeah. come to Christ. So Absolutely. the Spirit of God is there working with us. That that is a that is a dynamic that changes your perspective right. on culture. Right. Because you're not judging culture. Well, you're not there yet. And then another thing. At that, and I will kick it back to you. But Jeremiah said that in his mother's womb, that God had called him to be a prophet. Yeah. And I, I like to say that in my years of rebellion and craziness, <laughs> uh, while I was not serving God nor yielded to Him, was not one of those partakers of the bread of life, mm-hmm. and ingesting that to be a part of my life at that time. Even so, God's call was still on my life. Right Now, that's hard to reconcile for our religious-minded right. people. Absolutely. And that's okay. But if you understand that side of it, then the perspective of culture and how we look at people coming into our fellowships that becomes an entirely different perspective.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, we went through um, this, I spoke of the visioning process. We went through it with Dr. Ron McManus. It's called the Acts 2 journey. And one of the things that, that Ron talked about very, very well and very strongly was that we have to create an environment where people can belong before they believe. And, you know, it's, it's challenging. I'm telling you, it's hugely challenging for me, just as an individual, as a pastor. I have to ask myself, okay, how many actual friends do I have that are not saved? Yeah. A- am I cultivating any relationships mm-hmm. outside of the church that you know I'm eventually going to, um, to hopefully, bring them to the church and get yeah. them to a place where, and so. It's hard enough as an individual, but when you talk about an entire congregation operating like that, creating an environment where people can, you can belong here
2: yeah.
0: and, and be comfortable here. We will love you. We'll accept you. You don't have to believe in Jesus yeah. to come to our church. And you're right, Wayne. That's, that's like opposite of what the church really was 10 years ago. Yeah, it's like ten counter- years ago. It was it was get attitude. the sin out of the camp. There's sin in the camp. Got to get it out. Yeah, you know, and now we're realizing, hey, wait a minute, uh, the world's going to hell, hmm. and they could care less about church. Yeah, and so the challenge is, you know, culture changes every two years. It totally reinvents itself. Oh, wow. And the problem is the church only changes every twenty years or so. So the church is wow. lagging seriously behind. In being able to reach chair one people, and so it, you know, I, I've known some pastors, you know, and I'm sure you do too, Pastor Wayne. That I know churches like this. Um, I'll pick on churches. I know a lot of churches like this. We want to reach people. We want to grow. Oh, we we don't understand why why aren't anybody coming here? Why mm-hmm. we don't you know? And they want to reach people until they start reaching people, and then they realize they have to change. They themselves, the church, has to change. And then they go, oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, We'd rather just keep it us four and no more. We used to say
1: things like, in a more progressive uh, outlook, especially in church planning training, which you and I both have had a, a great part to deal with, that in our attempt to keep our people safe, we built fences. Yeah. The problem was we built the fences too small mm. and we kept the world out rather right. than right. keeping our people safe. Right. And that I think those are honest mistakes that leadership and church people have made over the generations mm-hmm. in an attempt to serve God and, and from a sincerity of heart, wanting to do the right thing. I don't think necessarily that, The preceding generations, and I'm sure you don't either, were mean-spirited or Mm -hmm. just wanted to be judgmental. Obviously, they reached people like you and I, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, I certainly did not look like or act like— Now, I've pastored
0: a church before (laughs) full of mean-spirited people.
1: (laughs) <laughs> uh, i would concede to that there 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 are enough of those to go around but that's human nature yeah um, when i came in I, I did not look like sound like or anything like the church and thankfully i was able to come in yeah uh, i have seen churches i wouldn't have been able to have come into, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. they wanted everything to stay just right yeah. that us for no more as you're referring mm-hmm. to but the true heart of God, I think, makes no distinction between people. No, that's right. I think that the scripture rings out loud and clear that and while we were still in that sinful state that the love of God was shown to us in that Absolutely. Christ died for us Absolutely. then. I, I can't believe that God loves me anymore now in a state of trying to serve him and honor him right. than he did when he
0: allowed his son to die
1: for me right i mean that's the ultimate love mm-hmm.
0: and the great challenge is the longer you're saved the longer you know jesus the easier it is for you to forget yeah where you were when he found you you have to keep that grace fresh oh don't gosh you? and if we're honest
1: we need it constantly yeah
0: that's good. And well, that's powerful. There is something that happens
2: when we start to grow within the church is that the church has their own culture. And right. we, we step away from the culture in the world. We have the church culture, and that's our own culture. The problem mm-hmm. is that outside, everything is changing so rapidly, and we are so attached to our own culture. When I got here to the States 10 years ago, one of the pastors that I talked to, he was criticizing a lot this seeker-sensitive movement, Right. and said, so, "Well, we, we we believe that the Holy Spirit needs to move, and if mm-hmm. it takes two, three-hour services to, for that to happen, we have these evangelists coming all the time." And I remember him, great, great evangelist, tremendous anointing in his life. It took one hour just to ask for the offering, though. Oh, one hour! Wow, and. You know, there was a disconnect there because I I, I want to bring people to l- hear the evangelist. Somebody's gonna get them converted. It's gonna be mm-hmm. the evangelist. Mm-hmm. But then that uh, he the the model the culture that he was used to was that 1990s yeah. uh, loan service Holy Spirit filled uh, Brownsville exactly Brownsville yeah. that four mm-hmm. five hour services in mm-hmm. and you know what. It, I never could bring anybody to, not even Christians, to that service because mm-hmm. who has four or five hours today to go to a service on a Monday or Tuesday night? Right. So I, I, that the problem is that we have. Well, we Brown, Brownsville
0: was awesome, but you can't reproduce that. No. That's just something that manifested. Right. God just did that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But he's, he's moving and he's manifesting differently today. You know there's there are great churches uh, I think vintage churches one a great example yes that's reaching the culture yeah you know I mean there's wonderful examples of how God literally is manifesting and moving and reaching the current generation but it's a very different model than what it was five years ago 10 years ago 15 years ago yeah it's very different College. I'm, I was one, bro, that hmm. that cr- criticized that whole seeker-sensitive thing. I was like, no, it's the Holy Ghost. It's, yeah. you know, blah, blah, blah. Until, you know, God put me in this church-planting situation, and it's like, hey, i got to reach some people. Yeah. You know? And all of a sudden, you know what's crazy is churches fight, or not fight, but they're in competition with about 10% of a city's population, any given city. All churches in any given city in North Carolina, and America for that matter, Mm -hmm. are competing for maybe 10%, probably closer to 5% of that city's population. And the only thing those churches and those pastors can think is how can we get those Christians, how can we attract them to come to our church, to leave the church they're at, come to our church. Mm -hmm. And then keep them there. And keep them (laughs) while, you know, 90% though of the market, 90% plus, 90% plus of the market. Nobody's looking at that. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying nobody, but the, the, (laughs) the people that are looking at that and are reaching that 90 to 95%, they're going after the harvest. Yeah. You know, and that's what
1: Jesus told us to do. That's what he told us to so do. The harvest is ripe, yeah, it's ready. Right. You've got to get out beyond your confines, mm-hmm. focus on that mm-hmm. and reach them and and that's what he did. Which is why you find the criticism from the religious group throughout yeah. the New Testament, right. throughout the gospels because he spent his time mm-hmm. with those that the religious group thought was unworthy of his time. If you're really the Messiah, then you should be over here in our groups, in our circles. You should not be associating with these people. Mm -hmm. That did not make Jesus, obviously, a sinner, did not cause him to compromise his standards, did not taint him in any way. Mm -hmm. Instead, it delivered those that he came to
0: seek. Right, and so... My challenge is, you know, I'm 52 years old, and so I'm trying to change. I had a friend of mine tell me recently, um, she said, if you're, not, if you're not changing, you're not growing. That's right. If you're not willing to change, you're going to, you're going to stagnate and eventually plateau in your own personal growth, leadership growth, church growth, whatever, and die. And so, you know, my challenges are, we're talking about chair, chair one, Look at our culture today.
2: Yeah. It's (laughs) crazy. Who does that
0: represent? Dude, that seriously challenges my own preconceived judgments. You know? I mean, if I'm not careful, a lot of times I see things black and white. So if I'm not careful, I can be a super judgmental person. Privately.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Never publicly. Never publicly, but privately I can. And so
0: our culture today seriously challenges me and so this whole series about the table and our discipleship model and and really our, our heart and our passion to reach the culture, it's challenging me on so many fronts. Because I, I play out different scenarios in my head, in my spirit, and I ask the Lord. I'm like, all right, Lord, so what happens if we start reaching the LGBTQ community? What if they start coming to our church? What am I going to do? What what happens it's a if... challenging question. Yeah, what happens if, um, you know, the gangbangers show up at our church? And they've got their, you know, all the stuff that comes with them, the loud cars, the... The killer looks the you know intimidation the the drama the 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 you know what do you do with all that? Um, what about uh, I mean all the, our culture is is a cesspool. Mm. Just, <laughs> more morally speaking, it's lost. Yep. It's out of control, and so I play out different scenarios in my head of okay, um, what if we got some momentum reaching this group or that group or whatever group what do you what do you do with that how do i go handle that it's a challenge
1: those are challenges i want to find out <laughs> but 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 even on a a more conservative side the majority of our culture are as different as our culture may be today the majority are still families trying to make it through life right their perspective is different because they have, by and large, for a new generation,
2: mm-hmm.
1: are unchurched. Right. They are not like it was a couple of decades ago. Mm-hmm. So they, they don't have the same convictions, maybe the same perspective. Church doesn't hold the same for for much of our culture, does not hold the same uh prestige that it once did absolutely so the church that, has lost its influence so they are out of that circle mm-hmm. but they are still relatively normal families mm-hmm. trying to raise their children and make it through life right they they hit crisis moments they're hurting absolutely. they're struggling absolutely they have celebrations they're, they're they're trying to figure figure it out right And they are in desperate need of people that love and care and can build relationships with them, just like you're talking about. Around that table, finding a place of community. That doesn't change whether you're the gangbanger, whether you're the uh, two young parents trying to raise, what is the average household now, 2.0. Uh, five children, two something, and a half kids. Something. I think you've got <laughs> yeah, you got to get raise that. Yeah, how you raise that? Not half to mention a kid.
0: the whole movement of Islam. Yes. And the
1: momentum that's there because of community. Right. They're presenting a network, a community, right. some some form of acceptance outside of the religious boundaries. Right.
0: Right. And so, how does the church? How does the church relate to that? Is there a, is there a seat at the table? For, um, you know, someone who's a Muslim. I think there absolutely is. Why not? Can we love them and care for them? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what chair one is all about. You don't have to believe in Jesus to come to our church, to come to the table and have a seat at the table. You don't even have to believe in Jesus. Just come and hang out.
1: If you were a missionary Mm -hmm. on foreign soul. Exactly. We, we call church planting home missions Absolutely. here That's stateside. Yeah, you're a missionary. But if you are a missionary to Africa, who are you going to deal with? Right. You're going to deal with Muslims. Absolutely. You're, if you're in India, you're going to deal with Hindus. Mm-hmm. You're going to deal with all the different religious groups. And if you're going to win these people if you can't accept them and love them and reach out to them and befriend them and there's not a place at your table for them, there's no need in you trying to be a missionary in that
0: country. Right. Right. And what that does is it, um, it's fantastic accountability for a spiritual leader that man, you better be dialed in. You better be tuned in. You be, you better be connected to the real thing so that, Um, And I have friends, missionaries who, who reach the Muslim world. And here's what they say, um, that they're turning to Christ by very large numbers. And the reason is because of the miracles, because it's real. The genuineness. It's yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so same thing here. Mm -hmm. What if the spirit of God manifests so powerfully at the table, that i don't care what background you're from you Mm -hmm. could be you you could be a witch you could be a satanist you could be a pagan you know Mm -hmm. worshiping a pagan god and come and sit at the table and the spirit of god manifest in a worship service manifest in your heart and you go whoa yeah what was that
1: (laughs) you know we used to teach things that you don't hear as much anymore and uh, one of those things were the fact that the difference in christianity is that we have the holy spirit yeah that is very tangible very real Mm -hmm. and uh, we believe in the trinity the father son and holy spirit when the spirit of god begins to move in a service it's not it's not humanistic in nature. It it is Christocentric. It's Christ centered. It's Mm -hmm. Christ focused. It's God focused. And and when you're focused on Christ, the Spirit of God comes to exalt him and to lift him up. Right. Mm -hmm. When the Holy Spirit begins to move on us as unbelievers, Mm -hmm. we don't know what to do with that. I I can vividly remember the first time I encountered the Spirit of God in that tangible way while I was still living apart from Christ. Right, right. And I, I, it, that experience broke me, it overwhelmed me. And, right. and so many years later it's still very vivid to me, very real because when the Spirit of God moves on my heart and, and I sense that that nudging and that embrace, that love, it is overwhelming. No matter who we are, no matter right. what we believe, what we don't believe, you, mm-hmm. can't, you can't take that away. Yeah. And you've got to deal with that. We, mm-hmm. Our problem, I think, is we're not, we're not confident enough in what the Holy Spirit can and will do mm-hmm. to bring the unsaved to Jesus, right. to right. those meetings, to the environment. And, and we take for granted what we really have.
2: When you were talking about the missionary aspect of this, uh, I grew up in Guatemala and grew up looking at missionaries coming from the states all the time. And it's funny because I used to, I used to laugh at them when they tried to speak Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> God is just. There's, there's justice in this world. So I, this
1: is retribution. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The Lord has been
2: paying me good for the last 12 years of my life. <laughs> but uh, it was funny to me because, um, you know, trying to, as missionaries, they had to learn the language of the place they were at. Mm-hmm. They had to they have to learn the customs and all that. It's the same for anybody who has a missionary call into the culture. I'm not saying you're gonna change the content of your gospel, but you have to speak the language of the culture. You had to adapt completely. When 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 Paul was preaching mm-hmm. or you know, church planting back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, He knew when he was going to a Greek city how to behave with the Greeks and how to behave with the Jews. Mm -hmm. Actually, he was very successful with the Greeks and every time he tried to deal with the Jews it was a different story. But he knew that he had to adjust A lot of, not the content, because he said, I just want to talk about Jesus and him crucified. But there was an adjustment of his language, of his, even some of the, not commandments, but some of the rules that the Jews were observing. He told the Gentiles, you don't have to do this. You don't Mm have to do A, B, you know, you just, you know, don't worship false idols and you get... Clearing instructions about what they needed to do. So that, I think, is the biggest challenge, that we don't have that missionary outlook as a church anymore. We don't understand that this world doesn't belong. We're, we're not of this world, but we still need to communicate with the world, and we need to change our language, our not even our look, but we just have to adjust in some way, somehow. Like you said, you know, sometimes we lose empathy for people that are going through the day-to-day struggle of making a living. Mm-hmm. You know, what about the single mother that has two or three children to raise and she's not able to, to do that? I mean, how how much in touch, How, how are we in touch with that kind of scenario? Because that's the people that are coming to our church, right? We got a lot of those people, we had a lot of people that are going through things that in our sanctify Christian for our service world we're not even aware that is going on you know
0: right one of the things that revolutionized me and our church was our our whole team read through andy stanley's book deep and wide and it it just it it kind of wrecked my whole world it messed me up a little bit we made some dramatic adjustments to the way we did church you know, before before then, we were we did the two hour worship service. We'd have worship for an hour, and I'd preach for an hour, mm-hmm. and I thought it was fantastic. You know, I can preach for an hour and nothing flat. How
1: soft were your chairs back then?
0: <laughs> <laughs> they needed to be softer. <laughs> you know, until until we read uh, Andy Stanley's book, and and he enlightened he enlightened me on hey, um, you might want to think about structuring your church service toward the guy who doesn't know anything about church. The only thing he's sitting there going is, when is this going to be over?
1: Yeah.
0: He's never been to church before, and he's a guy. Yeah. He's he's walking in there and, watch, and he's looking at his watch. When is this going to be done? Exactly. When can I leave? You know? And so now we structure our service to be what is it hour and 15 minutes max yeah and the reason we do that is because we're anticipating that people in chair one are gonna be there people who don't have a church background people who haven't been in church in 20 years or 30 years people who've never been in church their whole life you know We want it to be engaging, and yes, the Spirit of God is there. And I've been shocked, man. I've been amazed that the Spirit of God can move just as effectively.
2: Just the same.
0: Just the same in one hour as he does in three hours, a three-hour service, you know. And what's amazing is uh, the people in chair one, they come back. (laughs) Because we're not keeping them for three hours, you know, two hours, whatever. It was a major adjustment for us, mm-hmm. and but it's paid off. It's one of
1: the things you do also, though, because I'm I'm in full agreement. There had to be a reevaluating of how we do church if we're going to reach the culture. Mm-hmm. And if if you're not the one doing the preaching, you probably don't want to sit there for an hour. Right. I find myself, and never with you.
0: So uh, tell the truth now. But, tell the truth.
1: I find myself looking at my watch sure. like, will someone help this guy land that plane? Get him on the <laughs> ground. Let's get out of here. This well, is, uh, any enough. preacher
0: who's a real preacher studies the craft. Yes. And, and I love listening and watching fantastic communicators. I can't get enough of it. I've, I'm just... I love it. I'm passionate about it because it's like, you know, it's a musician who watches yep. another master musician and you go, man, that was awesome. Ooh, yes. that's a cool move. Wow. I can't believe he did that. You know? Right. And so you try to bring all of that and apply it to what you're doing. And it's, it's crazy because like, um, with our one hour service or hour and 15 minute service, I hear more of this now than I ever have. People walk in and they go, after the service they go, who's been talking to you? I mean, and they're totally serious. Mm. Somebody, somebody right. told you my secrets. Mm. I had one, It's um, <laughs> one young couple in our church, <clears throat> the, the wife invited her sister, and her sister was lost, unchurched, completely unchurched. The sister came one Sunday and uh, I didn't even know she was there. But after service, she got mad and walked out in a huff. She was furious at her sister and she said, on her way out, she told her sister, I can't believe you told your pastor about all my stuff. Wow. (laughs) Because that's all he preached about was my sin and my stuff. That is the spirit of God. It's the spirit of God. There's more of that that goes on now than ever in an hour and 15 minute service. Yeah. It's awesome.
1: It's focused. You're allowing God to do the work rather than man trying to do the work. Yeah. But then you also provide for the believers in the third chair around that table Mm -hmm. that you talk about. And even the second uh, chair that they come in just for a night of worship. Yeah. Where you go back to some of those meetings to where there's not necessarily an agenda. Right. Right. That you don't have a time clock you're watching. Exactly. And it's time for just God to do what God wants to do. Right. You want to pray. You want to minister. Yep. You, you've you got time for that. So that that provides something just so that people don't think you're all focused on this is all we do. Right. You, you've been in it long enough and you're seasoned and you are balanced enough to accommodate the needs of not only this culture, but the believers as well because there are a lot of believers I'm sure today searching for where can I go and just bask in the presence of God without anyone pushing me, without the agenda, without this or that.
0: And you provide that. It's a fascinating thing uh, Dr. Ron McMahon has told us in the Acts 2 journey. Um, He told us about a study that was done of Christians in church, and he said – they reach a plateau after seven years that once you get saved, once you really get plugged into a church, you're growing, you're, you're learning stuff, lights are coming on, you, you, you see things in the Bible you've never seen before, you're, you're getting involved in ministry, you're being used by God, and he says for seven years, you're on a steep growth curve, but in the seventh year, you plateau, you stop growing, you just stop and um so his point in all of that was if you're in chair three and you're what we would call a seasoned saint how do you stay engaged long term with the church and not get bored and not plateau you know how do you get on a journey with the lord and still be um, engaged with the local church you know um, part of that is the fault of the church we plug people into the nursery or the kids church and we just leave them there till jesus comes you know you know that's their that's going to be their slot and and that's why people stop growing they're, they're not being challenged they're and so the lord spoke to me in our visioning process about this whole table concept and yeah there's three there really there's four chairs at the table the first chair is the pastor then chair one is for the non-believer. Chair two is for the new believer. Chair three is for the seasoned saint. And so what the Lord spoke to me was, let's take that table thing and let that be the plan. Let that become the map by which you intentionally grow people and engage people around the table. And so we've what we've done is um, we've developed curriculum for every chair at the table. Um, chair, chair one is a curriculum called Starting Point. It's by Andy Stanley. It's for people who don't know the Lord yet. They have questions and it teaches them about the gospel. Chair two is a curriculum by um, Dave McNaughton. Um, it's called Follow. Seven principles about how to become a follower of Jesus. Chair three is probably the most significant one. It's a curriculum called Place and in that curriculum it it's a it's a pretty serious deal you you take a personality profile you you get to take a spiritual gifts analysis discover what your spiritual gifts are you learn more about yourself in that place curriculum than anything and and you discover yourself and then you determine okay here's who i am where does that fit in ministry where can i find a place of ministry where i literally feel called to i'm not just filling a slot I'm, I'm not just you know cleaning the church because i feel guilty to not do it no where is something that i really feel passionate about that's gonna i'm gonna see god use me you know to contribute that's what place does so it keeps seasoned saints and helps them to get engaged in the ministry and and the exciting part is the table becomes this ecosystem. Matter of fact, I believe you put church planting in the mix, okay? I believe that people can go from chair 3 all the way over to the pastor's chair. God may be calling some people to plant a church. God may be calling some people to be the next staff person on on church staff. God may be calling people, you know, to get their credentials and enter the ministry. God may be calling some people to become a missionary and go to wherever. Wow. You know, so it's it's a sin, I think. It's wrong for churches to let seasoned saints not be engaged and get on an exciting journey with the Lord. He's got a plan for all of us, you know. And so chair three, that curriculum is designed to help people discover that plan and say, hey, where's God taking me? Rather than just saying, oh, well, uh, this is as high as I'm going. And, I, okay, I'm going to drift away from the table. They disengage. Here's what happens. They disengage from the church. They say, I'm not getting getting fed anymore. I'm whatever. And they come up with some lame excuse. And they leave. And then um, they just drift out there. And next thing you know, they're the ones in chair one 30 years later.
1: You know, it's amazing you said that about moving from chair three to the uh, fourth chair in that pastor's seat mm-hmm. because there there was a time that we can remember where healthy churches were not as inverted. They were looking out at the fields we referred to earlier. But one of the characteristics of those churches is that they always had several young upcoming preachers in that congregation Mm -hmm. because in that internal setting, God's call was placed not by a pastor but by the Spirit of God on those young men and women and they began to study and prepare for ministry outside of that congregation. Mm -hmm. Maybe they were serving in the congregation but they were also looking Constantly out at the fields that were ready right. to be harvested. Right. That created a passion, a zeal, a fire, and an enthusiasm that we, we lack too often. right? Because we're not focused as much out there as we are right. in internally once we begin to turn inwardly looking at ourselves and what we want Mm -hmm. then we begin to lose the
0: focus of what true ministry is designed for we're not looking out at others right so well we've come up with the chairs that we've got around the table right now this is just the phase one Mm -hmm. i mean we're envisioning literally i'm not talking about this yet but we're envisioning like a school of ministry but hey if you're in chair three and you feel like God's putting a call in your life to do some kind of ministry, we want to help you. We want to train you. Here, here, we're going to put you in this school of ministry, raise you up, and send you out, you know, plant another church, whatever. Oh, we plant plant our church in a heartbeat, bro. <laughs> we spit them out. <laughs> I love it. Well, that is the best way to reach a culture. It is. It really is. It's the most effective way to reach culture is planting churches. Oh, really? New churches new churches it's the most effective way wow and that goes
1: right back to what we're saying is because a new church the life of that church is reaching the culture they're placed in. they have to they haven't become their own culture yeah. like yeah. traditional churches tend to become right. they're totally focused at yep. the harvest field
0: right so they they reach that culture right now there are some churches you know that have been in, in existence for decades um, who who get it, and they have been able to change, and then they're being very effective. Uh, but, but those are few and far between.
1: And those are also, I would say, some of the strongest church-planting churches. Right. Sending exactly. people out. Exactly. Because their focus is still on the harvest. Exactly. And, and that's what Jesus taught us to do. Mm-hmm. Look at the harvest. Don't look inwardly at yourselves, but look at the harvest. The harvest is this culture we're placed in.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So rather than complaining about it, criticizing it, our challenge is to reach it, to love it, to embrace it, not necessarily with the wrongs, Mm -hmm. but
0: to bring Christ into that. Right. Now, there was another chair at the table Sunday, the high chair,
2: (laughs) <laughs> I've,
0: by the way I've borrowed all of this from Ed Young Jr Okay, this originated with him this is just my version of it but the high chair is a powerful powerful teaching tool it sits at the table if, if you can imagine a table with a high chair sitting there and who's in the high chair babies um, a lot of Christians find themselves stuck in that stage of a toddler. Um, I've known Christians have been saved for 20, 30 years, but they're stuck in the high chair. It's I call it the high chair, my chair, the high chair, I chairs, the people that only thing they can talk about is themselves. Me, 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 my, 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 I, I, I. And, um, you know, the older I get, <laughs> the less patience I or stuff like that that's why we say god
1: gave children to young parents there you go there you go
0: (laughs) but in the same light though actually i'm getting better at helping folks get out of the high chair because the good news is you can come out of the high chair i can get you out of the high chair i can i can coach you out of the high chair to where it's not about you and you quit whining and you you submit to authority people got authority issues man it's It's rampant. People have major authority issues. I mean, I'm a pastor of a church, but I'm not out here on my own. I submit to authority. I have people over me and pastor Wayne does too. I mean, I have people that I submit to bro. I mean, they check out my finances. I have to tithe to them. I have to submit to them and I gladly do it because what they also provide is a spiritual covering. Part of their anointing manifests in my ministry. I'll take that deal every single time, you know. Um, and so, as a pastor, I expect people to. If I have to submit, I expect people under me are going to submit. And from time to time, we you know we run into folks who just phew, they have a hard time with it. I I uh, years a few years back, I uh, there was a influential couple in the church, um, a power couple. Big givers, um, incredible gifts that they were bringing to the table, except the wife was um, she was gossiping about people. she was stirring up conflict. She was stirring up strife. You know, some people are good at that yeah. <laughs> and she she was doing it. And we caught her. I mean we just caught her dead to rights. she couldn't get out of it. I had the evidence. And, uh, anyway, I brought them into my office and I confronted her and I said, you need to stop it. I know what you're doing and I'm telling you to quit it right now. Don't do it anymore. You know, and I did it as nice as I possibly could. I wasn't mean spirited about it. I wasn't anything like that. And she looked at her husband. She grabbed his arm with tears streaming down her face. She, she didn't say, I'm so sorry, Pastor, you're right, I confess, I admit. She didn't say any of that. She looked at her husband and she said, get me out of here. Hmm. They left and haven't been back. Wow. And they're still bouncing, church to church to church to church. Wow. That's sad. It's, it's, it's tragic. You know, if she would have just said, you know what, you're right, I'm sorry, help me help me fix this we could have helped her yeah. they've still been right there with us growing god using them in great ways but no she had to stay in that high chair
2: <laughs> i think at the end of the day you can sum up every problem that we have as christians as and that was so clear to me on sunday when you use the high chair as how much it is it is my own interests. of everything is about me. Mm-hmm. And as you grow, really learn that life is about you serving other people. Every time I hear you talking about Works and what's going on in here, you're not really talking about your goals and your legacy or whatever. You're talking about the families that this company is allowing to sustain and the impact that it is creating is like that to me is a signal of maturity where God knows Absolutely. he can trust you yep. because you understand you're going to be at the head of the table because you bring in the bread Absolutely. and that requires the highest sacrifice at the end mm-hmm. of the day so it's a challenge for us Christians to get out of the high chair remember okay this is for you to be in that third or fourth chair where God wants you to be because I believe that's that's the place that God wants us to be we just had to switch that mentality that me mentality Mm -hmm. to Jesus mentality to other people's Mm -hmm. mentality
0: and so many people get stuck because they want to go to chair three but suddenly they take a few steps and they suddenly realize oh wait there's a cost It's going to cost me to grow. It's going to cost me to go to the next level. I'm going to have to give up something, you know, and that's when they go, never mind. I think I'm good staying right here.
1: Being able to cross the bridge from ministry into the business world Mm -hmm. has not that business is not engaged in ministry because our life is ministry no matter what the occupation or, or where we're at. I love the saying that ministry is 24 six because we've looked at it as happening on Sundays only for so long. Right. That We need to re-engage with the fact that our our life and where we're at wherever god has strategically placed us is designed for ministry Mm -hmm. and moving over to that business capacity we have a little over 75 employees now that i'm very grateful for and that is a lot of families to be responsible for each each month (laughs) that's a huge church (laughs) but that I'm, I'm grateful for that opportunity. But one of the things that you learn that I did not learn as well as I should have in the years of pastoring pastoring, uh, I got trapped too often in trying to pacify those that were creating the problems. Right. And we, we don't want to offend. We don't want to hurt Mm. the feelings. So we're, we're pacifying too many things in business you learn that if there is a, a, a problem, if there's something being done wrong and you cannot bring any help to that, if you can't help correct it, get it on course, mm-hmm. that it is unfair to those other families to jeopardize their families' economic stability and their future to pacify someone that does not want to run with that team.
0: Wow, that's so good. Does
1: does it mean that that they are a bad person as such, but if, if you're going to cause so much confusion and so good. Uh, break the harmony of the teamwork yeah. that it takes to succeed in anything we do, then maybe you need to find another place right. or maybe we just need to get you out right. because our loyalty has to be and economics tend to make us do that Mm -hmm. where in the church it's not the same kind of pressure I think in business the economic pressure says you're going to weed out these problems if you can't correct them you're going to weed them out right because of your loyalty to all the other families that this is their livelihood this is their future and some of that probably I know for me should have bled back over into the church, and that's just kind of what you learn.
0: Yeah, over the years, uh, I think back ten years ago, man. I, you know, I uh, you you just you feel at the mercy of the people, and if you have some leaders of the pack who are big givers, well, you can't run them off because the church will sink financially and what God's taught me is um they're they're going to leave eventually anyway um and when they do leave uh he's gonna he's gonna bring other people you know it's his church it's not my church it's just like this business is really not your business this is this business belongs to the Lord he's leading it it's his and his families. right You're just the shepherd. You're the under shepherd of it. And, um, so I've grown, I probably get paid better. (laughs) Uh, You probably do. (laughs) I I tell
1: everyone that I am overworked and overpaid.
0: (laughs) Awesome. I don't know. I've grown to the point that I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not at the mercy of the people, you know, I don't operate like that any longer. Uh, I, I love what you said, Pastor Wayne, about you're you're like the guardian of the culture in this company. Yes. Mm. And any effective leader, whether it's church or business, you're that's what you're doing. You're enforcing culture. Um, is exactly what you do. right. For the benefit of the faithful, amazing people who are with you, When you have one bad egg who wants to come and wreck your culture, you got to stop them. And you got to say, no, that's not how we do around here. That's not how we operate around here. And this is how we operate. And if you can't work in these parameters, well, maybe this ain't the best place for you. You know, I've gotten grown to a place as a leader that I'm okay talking to people about that stuff. I wasn't always that way. That's a
1: major step yeah yeah it is and and it sounds so simple
0: right but it's not but when
1: you're dealing with people that you honestly care about right and you you want the best for them and you know there's going to be a parting of of relationship if uh, one way or the other most likely that's Mm -hmm. uh, that's strenuous right that's emotionally strenuous